Welcome into the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, where you stay up to date in 48 on all things NBA. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside my two co-hosts in Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 23, and welcome back, Bruce. I think I speak for the show and all our listeners. You've been missed, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing great. I didn't realize this was episode number 23. This is the Michael Jordan episode, apparently, right? Yeah, the GOAT episode, number 23. And with that, uh, we're going to start with you, Bruce. How about you start us off with our opening tip tonight? All right. So if we disregard Thursday night's uh, Mavericks 76ers game, where Kyrie Irving and Luka Dantich have 60 points between them about halfway through the third quarter as we get started here, uh, I want to just talk about how so far, at least prior to tonight, it hasn't really seemed to be going the way everybody thought it was going to be going. Uh, they haven't really done much together. They were one in five in their first six games together. Uh, and I don't think anybody would call that a success. Granted, it's a small sample and maybe Thursday night's game against the Sixers is going to be the beginning of a new sort of, you know, uh, set of games and success for those guys. But at least in the early going, I would say it really hasn't worked out. And we'll see if they can hang on to this big lead against Philly. Yeah, it's definitely been uh, a, a concern in Dallas right now with those two not really meshing well. Things got out of the gates looking good with Kyrie on the floor. But then once Luca inserted himself back into that lineup, there has been some causes for concern. No doubt about that. Will B, what about you? What do you have for your opening tip? Uh, I was going to address the uh, loss of uh, Lamella Ball for the rest of the season with a fractured yeah. ankle. Uh, it's relatively, I mean, it's disappointing, but it really doesn't go too uh, deep in the attention span for the rest of the NBA because the Hornets are struggling so much. But he's been really, a, he's really on the cusp of being a superstar. So this is really a sad moment to see him miss the rest of the season. He's only 21 or 22. He was having an excellent season uh, with the Hornets. He missed a whole bunch of it at the beginning. But, you know, since he's come back, he's got 23 points per game, uh, six, uh, six rebounds per game, eight assists. And, you know, only three other players are doing those numbers this year. It's Luka, Jokic, and John Morant. So he's really stepped up his uh, scoring every year, his rebounding every year, his assists every year, and he's shooting the ball much better. It was just a disappointment uh, because in a season, which was really one disappointment after another for the Hornets, he was really a, a, a ray of hope for them. And now he's uh, going to be gone. It's really uh, kind of disappointing. And it's been a tough season overall for the balling ballers from the ball family because yeah. – Lonzo's now pretty much done for the season as well. The whole season was a wipeout for him. So uh, very unfortunate for the fam. Big baller brand is struggling right now, and we wish both Lonzo and LaMelo the best uh, throughout their recovery here. Hopefully we can see them back on the floor soon because no doubt about it, as far as the NBA is concerned, they certainly provide a lot of entertainment. As for me, my opening tip is KD's debut with the Phoenix Suns. It took Durant no time to return to his old self, with a very effective and efficient performance in the Suns' victory over the Hornets on Wednesday night. He scored 23 points in 26 minutes on 10 of 15 shooting, grabbed six boards, handed out two assists, and also had two blocks against Mark Williams. And probably the most intriguing stat to monitor moving forward with Durant was that he was two of four from downtown, taking four attempts from long range. Can we expect to see him launch that many threes as his minutes slowly continue to increase, I'm intrigued to find out. I think it's very interesting. He wasn't a guy on the Brooklyn Nets that was taking too many three-point attempts. But in that first game with Phoenix, uh, he was letting it fly. And, um, you know, what was very apparent to me in this game was just how much easier he made the game for the rest of Phoenix's two primary scorers. Booker was able to get super busy offensively, scoring 37 points. And Aiton scored 16 on an efficient 7 of 10 shooting. So just KD's presence out on the floor, offering Phoenix new looks and, of course, a new extremely lethal threat uh, should continue to open up the floor for Booker to operate more freely without the worry of so many double teams. And as I mentioned on previous shows, you know, this should provide Aiton much easier looks around the basket as well. So now I understand this game came against the Hornets ball club that just lost LaMelo, as Will B mentioned in his opening tip. 
I'm marking this up as a solid win and a perfect warm-up game for KD and the Phoenix Suns. And uh, you guys have anything to comment on that? Well, I mean, I think you, I think uh, the, the odds now have Phoenix as the number two favorite to win it all, yeah. right after Boston. Yep, yep. And we had said on a previous show, Bruce, uh, we, we had mentioned them at number four at that time, and uh, we were we were uh, recommending, at least I was, that uh, people jump on that because I think I think everyone saw their uh, their their stock rising there. Well, you know, I had them coming out of the West at the beginning of the season. I've been saying it all year. Wasn't exactly this iteration of the team, but, you know, I, I did say it. It's on tape, so go back and listen. Absolutely. And with that, let's get it right into our first quarter here as the Milwaukee Bucks keep it rolling. They extended their win streak to 16 despite hosting World Beast Dragon Slayers in the Orlando Magic in Milwaukee on Wednesday night. World B, we'll start with you. What'd you what was your big takeaway from uh, the Bucks? Continuing to roll in Milwaukee. It was uh, business as usual for them. It's really, uh, it's been a terrific run by by this team. They haven't lost in, you know, since January 21st. I mean, it's five weeks now without a loss. Even more so, they haven't lost at home in almost two months. You have to go back to January 6th to the Hornets when they last lost at home. And they're playing uh, Sixers coming up at, at home. So that's going to be uh, uh a good test for them, but you know, they aren't, the numbers aren't dominant. The defensive numbers are dominating. They're back to being the kind of defensive team we we saw a couple of years ago and everything, but the numbers overall, they're not winning by a billion points, you know, but what they do have is in the clutch moments, then the clutch being defined by the NBA is when a game is within five points or less with five minutes to go or less in the game or overtime, you know, in those clutch moments, they're 23 and six. That's the best clutch record in the NBA. That's ridiculous, you know, to be able to be that good. And, you know, we talk about Giannis, how great he's been. Uh, Drew Holiday has been spectacular during this win streak, 20 points a game. And one of my big uh, keys for their run has been uh, Chris Middleton coming off the bench. He come yeah. off the bench during this whole thing. And they are absolutely dominating from the bench when he comes on there. When he's on the court, they're outscoring opponents by almost 19 points per 100 possessions. That's really a, an impressive number for anybody, particularly when you're coming off the bench. So he's – I'm sure it's not his desired role for a guy who's been a multi-year all-star, but he's really uh, solidifying the bench and really making them uh, the preeminent team at the moment to at least come out of the East. Bruce? Giannis hasn't appeared in a losing game since January 6th. So that's almost two months. The games, they've won 18 out of their last 19. Okay. Uh, they got Bobby Portis back four games ago. Obviously, the team is 4-0 and since he's come back. Um, and you mentioned Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday, to me, is just Mr. Consistent. He's, you know, he's averaging 20 during the streak. He's averaging 19.8 on the season, okay? He's at his best in their closest games. He had 40 in that game against Boston, including that ridiculous, like, more than half court shot, which kind of provided the difference since the game went to overtime. Uh, He had 33 in the three-point win against uh, Phoenix on February 26th, which was really the only two close, close games during this whole streak. Every other game, I think, was decided by, you know, eight, nine points or – beyond. Um, Chris Middleton, as you say, they're doing a wonderful job sort of gradually ramping up his minutes. He's averaging, uh, he's been in double figures 11 of the last 12 games. He's just playing 20 minutes and he's averaging double figures. So those are big time numbers for a guy and they're not overextending him. They're letting him kind of get his legs underneath them, which is great. Uh, They've managed his minutes beautifully. And then, you know, lost in all of this is Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez is really the guy that we never really talk much about, you know. Um, he's he's only missed one game. I mean, this is a team that's missed a lot of games to injury. If they had been basically healthy throughout this season, Boston would be a lot more than a half game behind them because this team would be probably at 50 wins already if it, if it weren't for that. So Milwaukee, I think – uh, is is getting ready to sort of peak at the right time. And, and that's a that's a conversation I also want to have about the Knicks in a little bit because I want to ask Coach Geiger here a question about <laughs> teams peaking at the right time. But just to uh, to kind of put the Bucks 
next week or so into context, their next four games, Saturday they got a national game on ABC against Philly. That will be a tough game, but it's at home, all right? Then Sunday at Washington should be a win. Tuesday at Orlando, sorry world, that should be a win. And then a week from Thursday at home against Brooklyn, that should be a win. So we could be looking at a 20-game winning streak here. Uh, and, and, you know, we said all along we had never seen the real Bucks all season. They'd never been whole. Well, we're seeing a team now that looks like perhaps the best team in the NBA. Yeah, and what's fascinating about that is, you know, we're seeing the real Bucks, but it's a different Bucks team than we've seen in years past, as good as they've been in years past. I mean, we got, like we mentioned, we got Chris Middleton coming off the bench, and they've got an extremely deep bench now. I mean, they got Joe Ingles coming off the bench. They got three tough guys in Javon Carter, Bobby Portis, and Jay Crowder coming off their bench. I like their starting unit. They've right now got Grayson Allen and Pat Connington in that starting lineup. I think it allows them to get out of the gates playing a little bit more freely. And then you got these big muscle guys that come in and, and, and kind of create chaos off your bench. And Joe Ingles included with the three tough guys and Carter Portis and uh, Crowder that I mentioned. And uh, they really have a nice mix for uh, head coach Mike Budenholzer to really turn to and, and kind of play with. And uh, he seems to be making all the right moves right now, of course, with the uh, 16 wins in a row. And I'm with you, Bruce. I, I don't, I don't know when this stops. I think they're off to a, a, a great, a great, post all-star break and uh i owe the bucks a little bit of apology i mean granted i thought Giannis was going to be out a few weeks but i thought they might get off to a a, like a two and three start out of the gates uh after being in utah and and here they are just continuing to roll so it's been quite impressive i'll say this go ahead go ahead oh no no i i was just going to mention the one concern about the bucks is even during this win streak their offense still is not at a high octane level like we've uh, seen them in the past or that what we've seen from other teams all year, they're outside the top 10 in efficiency during this win streak. And overall, they're still just 19th in offensive efficiency. So despite all the numbers, despite the great play of Giannis and Drew Holiday and all these guys, there's something not clicking. Now their defense has been great. We talked about it. It's where, you know, you expect uh, coach Bud's teams to be uh, year in and year out. And if they can get the – the offense just hasn't been there this year. If they can ever get it figured out, I don't see how anybody can beat them with that defense. But they're going to have to beat teams on the defensive end until this uh, until this offense comes around. To this point, they've done a really great job at it. To Ross, your point when you mentioned we thought the Bucks might hit a little bit of a skid when we thought Giannis might miss a few games. I think freak is the right word for him. This guy's got to be one of the greatest healers in the history of the world because not only has he kind of, you know, battled the thing with the wrist and hasn't really missed much time. Remember the year they won it all? He had that terrible, it appeared to be a horrible like injury where he kind of splayed out underneath the backboard and he, and he missed a game and he was, and he was back being himself so quick. I mean, this guy is like bionic. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, I know he's human and he's actually yep. really funny as his appearance on the late show the other night uh, <laughs> yeah. indicated, but yeah. what a, what an incredible healer he is. I mean, God bless. Yeah. I think a lot of that just comes down to toughness. I mean, he is just so driven to be out on the floor. It kills him not to be out there with his teammates battling on a night to night basis. And Giannis actually did tell me the story about when he did hurt his knee uh, after game six against Atlanta. And he said right after he went into the locker room, some of his teammates were in tears. And he said, you know what, guys? He's like, just win me one one game. Get me to the finals and I'll be back. And he kept his word and he was back for the NBA finals. He is just an impressive player, as tough as they come. And and yeah, he's, he's a little bit of a freak too. <laughs> Are we going to talk uh, about that Daily Show thing? I mean, we certainly can. I mean, what was your favorite <laughs> joke? Was it uh, the one about... Uh, uh, the Joker or, or Duran or which which one did you think? Which one was your favorite? <laughs> I think the the coldest was Durant. Okay. Oh yeah. But but just what a charming, wonderful person. Because there are probably like zero other guys in the NBA that could have pulled that off and done that without everybody hating his guts. But you yeah. looked at that and you just said, well, "Like what a nice guy." I mean, because you know. He just was. I mean, it was hilarious. And the guy who hosts the 
the Daily Show. I don't even know the guy's name. Uh, it was a really great bit, and and good on Giannis for playing along and being a good sport, and but also handling it so deftly that nobody yeah. could hate him for what he did. It, I'm sure even Durant must have laughed at that one. I don't know. I don't know if he will. I don't necessarily know if he would have laughed at. He's Mister Sensitive about certain things. That's so, true. He is. Uh, I I would hope he'd laugh at it, but I uh, I don't know if he necessarily. Did. I thought it was a funny bit, all around funny skit, and uh, it was uh, he nailed it. I thought he nailed it really well. It was a, a lot of laughs. Ross, yeah. what was your favorite man? Oh, mine was definitely the Joker. I thought it was hilarious. You know, how are you going to get through the finals if you can't get through a Burger King drive through And then, you know, you should be checking. Well, I guess the comedian was like, you should be checking IDs outside of a hookah bar because he certainly looks like a bouncer outside of a bar or club. Um, I thought the whole thing was was really good. And, uh, you know, I think all those guys respect Giannis. They know that it's mutually respect back on his behalf. And he's certainly not a guy that likes to talk smack uh, about other players so that's why I think he can get away with it and of course he, he even tried to follow up and go off script and say no I think you're a great player you know you're one of my <laughs> idols KD like you know started apologizing about it so I think everyone knew it was just for some some good oh, fun yeah. and I'm glad he I, yeah. I'm glad he uh, played along with it because that was that was great entertainment there <laughs> um, but for our second uh Second quarter, fellas, I want to talk about uh, some other important notes in the East. And let's start by talking about World B's Knicks. They're now 9-1 and one in their last 10 games. And World B, I'll go ahead and start with you. I mean, they, they can't lose with Josh Hart, can they? It certainly doesn't look like it. He's, he's uh, I don't know if he's necessarily made the difference. But, you know, the guy's shooting like 60% from three-point range. They haven't lost with him since he came aboard. So he's doing something right. Yeah. Um, and we talked about, I think, in the, in the previous show, uh, previous episode, you know, he's he's going to be the guy on the be- on the court at the end of games, and it's going to push other guys to either play better or take a seat. And I'm talking to you again, R.J. Barrett. You, if you want to yep. be on the court at the end of games, uh, Tom Thibodeau has no problems putting uh, Josh Hart on the on the court at the end of games in place of. Uh, R.J. Barrett, but I mean, you know, not only are they 7-0, obviously, during this win streak or whatever, but five of the seven wins are by 15 or more points. They're just blowing everybody out. And the big thing they're doing, along with having the best offense in the league over this stretch, is they're really jumping out to early leads. I mean, they're jumping on teams right away. They have a net efficiency of plus 36.2, which means they're outscoring opponents by 36 points per 100 possessions in the first quarter. That's a ridiculous number for for any quarter, but you know to jump out in the first quarter and do it. And Julius Randle, who he and uh, Jalen Brunson averaging about 55 points a game combined during this win streak. Randle scored 10 points in the first quarter in five of the four, yeah five of the seven games in this win streak. He's jumping out there really quick. So it's really they're blowing teams out. They're getting on them early. And they're finishing strong. And I think with Hart there, with the starters they have, it's really solidifying a solid core unit that at this point could very well end up hosting, you know, getting up to fourth and hosting a first round series. I don't know if they have enough to get past the top three, but they keep going like this. Who's to say they can't? They have quality players now and hungry players. During the streak, Uh, For the season, their average point differential is 3.1, okay? During the streak, it's 16, okay? Um, They're averaging almost nine points more per game during the streak than they have for the season, and they're allowing more than four fewer points less than what they've been averaging for for the season. Uh, We've cited some of these numbers before, which I consider to be like, very big indicators of a team's potential to go far. I mean, third in field goal percentage allowed, third in rebounds, third in rebound differential, uh, 18 and 12 on the road, tied for the second best road record in the entire NBA with the aforementioned Bucks. And Jalen Brunson, man, I'll tell you, I was so wrong about him going into the season. I always liked him as a player. I thought he was good, but I never really thought he was a difference maker. He is the difference maker on that team this season. The way he gets in the paint, 
and the way he breaks down defenses, it's really starting to remind me a little bit of like vintage Chris Paul. And I know that's really high praise, but watching him play, I'm seeing similarities in the way he just he goes at his own pace, which all the great ones do. You can't speed guys up. He gets in trouble. He gets out of trouble. He finds an open guy. He's made Julius Randle a more efficient shooter this year because he's getting him beautiful looks. Um, Jalen Brunson is really, you know, he's got a three-to-one assist to turnover ratio, 41% shooting threes. Um, as you mentioned, World, he's averaging nearly 28 a game during this streak, shooting almost 53%. I mean, a difference maker for sure. But, Ross, I have a question for you, and I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier. Okay. You're, you're a coach. Are the Knicks peaking at the right time? Are they peaking a little bit early? When is the right time that you want to see a team start peaking for postseason success? I think it's right now. I think within the last 20 games of the season is really, really need to build up to that peak level because it takes time. I mean, any team can go on a hot stretch of uh, two to three wins in a week, but can you put it put it together for multiple weeks? And, and that's what the Knicks are doing right now. That's what the Bucks are doing right now. And, uh, you know, that Josh Hart acquisition, man, that that has been the difference maker for New York. I mean, they got Tom Thibodeau, a tool that's just uh, the perfect fit for what they were missing. And we're seeing that in, in the numbers. I mean, you, you mentioned that they're, uh, you know, since acquiring Josh Hart, um, I think they're shaving four points off defensively of what the, the opposing team is scoring. And a lot of that, I think, comes back to just how good of a rebounder Josh Hart is. He does all the little things. He's, I look at him as kind of the guard version of P.J. Tucker. He doesn't have the, the sexiest numbers. I mean, he puts up better numbers than P.J. on a stat line. But overall, he's not a sexy player. He, that guy just knows how to win. All right. He's going to do whatever it takes to, to win. He's going to dive for loose balls. He's going to make the, the extra pass. He's, he, He's a one-and-done rebounder. Anytime a shot goes up, he's the first one looking up, tracking the fly of the ball, and he's, he's going to go try to, to grab it so that there's no second-chance opportunities. And those type of plays throughout a course of a game are the difference maker. And then when you got a point guard like Jalen Brunson, I mean, I, I have not been that surprised. I was a huge fan of Jalen. I thought he was going to put on a show in New York City. And uh, how refreshing will it be? How refreshing is it to not just have a – Knicks team that's certainly looking like they're going to make the playoffs, but have landed a key max guy. I mean, the yeah. Knicks over years have been have been making terrible decisions with with their max players. How refreshing is it not only to just have a playoff team, but to also just nail a max player? Yeah, it's it's a rarity. You you said it right. It's it's a rarity. You have to. Uh, I mean, Mello was a trade, so that doesn't necessarily sure. count. But they had to re-sign him, and they signed him the big bucks. They haven't really had in between. They really haven't had much of anything. The Julius Randle was, you know, a trade, but it was, uh, it, it's worked out, I guess, if you, you want to look at that. What it's really done is Brunson being there, Josh Hart now being there. You look at who they have coming off the bench, Hartenstein at the center replacing Robinson. Yeah, Josh Hart, Emmanuel Quickly, who's having a career year. He can't miss these days. It's, Really, those three guys right there just come up. Not to mention Obi Toppin is is a quality coming off the bench. That's nine guys right there, and we haven't even gotten into uh, uh, Quentin Grimes, who's who's having a heck of a year. And they have a rotation and a quality group of players that can really push teams. And I I think that they at this rate they're peaking to get they have something to play for. They're trying to get for that fourth spot. And host the, uh, I think they just want to keep playing. It's like a new season now. We have heart, and it feels yep. like all right. This let's see what how good we can really be. It's, I mean, that's what I'm looking at from teams that make these great trades. And it's, it's really funny when you look at. We just mentioned uh, the Kyrie trade, the Russell Westbrook <laughs> signing over there. All these big names that are going places. KD's looking like it'll work out, whatever. But a guy like Josh Hart, who isn't a superstar and all star has really made a a big difference. They, they're scoring 132 points per 100 possessions when he's on the court. How can you take that? How can you take him off the court? He's got it. I know he's coming off the bench, but he's got to get on the court if you're going to be that efficient on offense. So I'm, you know, there's a lot to like right now with that team. And another thing about them, I mean, I'm I'm going to refer specifically to the game against Boston the other night. Okay, 
they jumped out on them early. They got the lead. Boston was coming at them a little bit in the second half, but the Knicks were so gritty. Every time Boston looked like they were going to make a little run, the Knicks would get a bucket and then they'd get a stop and then they'd get another bucket. So they could, that Boston never was able to get within like five points, you know, down the stretch. The Knicks always held them off and they did it the old fashioned way with just grit and toughness. Quickly was awesome in that game down the stretch. He, you're right. He couldn't miss. He was making all kinds of, you know, shots. He was like a little mini microwave out there. He's awesome. Uh, he's been awesome all year. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Maybe we can give him that Hoop IQ nickname now. You didn't want to do it earlier yeah. this year when I suggested that. Maybe you might want to change your mind about that one now, World. I'll but anyway, the, I'll add it to the list of things I have to change my mind on. <laughs> but but to me, grit is essential if you're going to be a really good team in the postseason. Because when teams start scouting you and playing you every game, you really, you know, everybody knows what everybody else is going to do. So then it really kind of comes down to mental toughness and grittiness. And I think we're looking at a team that's really become a very gritty bunch. And I'll make you popular in New York as well. If you have grit and you yeah. have energy, it really will. Oh, I mean, you, for you sure. Know it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You uh, do it just like within any big city in the East. You know, they, the East loves grit. And if you got it and you're good at it, it'll be appreciated. It's very painful for me to have to keep saying nice things about the Knicks. I just want to <laughs> say, but you know what? They you do it very it. well. No, they earned it. You're well, a natural at it. It's true. They're, they've, they've been amazing. Well, Bruce, let's get to something that you like to uh, talk about then. We had a, a fun game in Boston on Wednesday night between the Cleveland Cavaliers and Boston Celtics. How about you talk a little bit about what you saw in that game and uh, how impressed you were with uh, the Celtics being able to close that one out? I was having 2008 Eastern Conference semifinal flashbacks watching <laughs> Donovan Mitchell get 44, and Jason Tatum get 41 with Boston winning. It was LeBron James and Paul Pierce doing it in 2008, uh, where uh, you know LeBron had 45, Pierce had 41, but Boston won game seven. Cleveland's good, man. I'll tell you what. That first-round series between the Cavaliers and the Knicks, which is kind of shaping up to be a first-round matchup, I'm thinking, you know, the Celtics, I mean, the Celtics might be better off finishing second behind Milwaukee because, <laughs> because they've owned Philadelphia this year. They're 3-0 and against them. They're 1-2 and against Cleveland. They're 1-2 and against the Knicks. So, and I think with Milwaukee, it would go seven, whoever between Boston and them has the home court, you know, and then it's like, you know, what do you got in game seven? So I'm thinking, you know, let Milwaukee have the winner of that series. I'll take Philadelphia in the second round. But Boston actually, has, you know, it's kind of been lost in Milwaukee's incredible run. Boston's 8-2 and two in their last 10 games, right? It's not like yeah. they're, you know, crap. Um, no. But, uh, you know, they've lost three games in the standings going 8-2 and two in their last 10 to Milwaukee. So it's like, got to give it to, got to give it to Milwaukee. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, I'm still thinking those two teams are the two best in the East, but maybe Milwaukee is going to get the number one seed and maybe Boston fans shouldn't be all that worried that that happens. Will be. Uh, the third quarter of that game was, was really remarkable. Mitchell went for 19 Tatum had 17 and the second half, you know, overall in the second half Tatum finishes with 24 and Mitchell at 29 and he did it in different ways. I Tatum three for three from from deep in the second half, while Mitchell was nine out of eleven from inside three point range. So it was really a a fun night all around basketball. Like you say, it was LeBron versus Paul Pierce in the playoffs. It was Dominique versus Bird in the playoffs in Game Seven up at the Boston Garden in that fourth quarter. This this time it became the third quarter, but it it was a similar you know type of feeling. And I'm you know I'm with you, Bruce. I think. Uh, the fact that Cleveland, you know, last year Cleveland had a really good start and it kind of fizzled out after a while, but they have Mitchell wasn't there and now he's here. They have a uh, quality player. Garland is obviously he, he was awesome in the second half as well in the fourth quarter of that game um, the other night. So they have players to match up. It's a really competitive uh, Eastern conference at the top with some really uh, good teams that are playing well. I mean, Obviously, 
Boston's playing well. Milwaukee, who knows when they're going to lose again. The Knicks are on fire. And Cleveland is steady and has been the fourth spot for most of the season. Not to mention Philadelphia just doesn't want to go away. They're, they're solid in that three spot. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's not as up and down as the West that we're going to talk about here shortly. But there's some really good teams, and you pretty much know uh, where they're going to be. And the playoffs are going to be pretty fun in the East. I think Cleveland is maybe one year away because they've got everything except playoff experience. They need to make the playoffs and they need to kind of get what it's like to be scouted and, and, you know, go against the same team for like two straight weeks. But those two bigs, man, Mobley and Allen, that's some scary stuff when you're trying to get into the paint against those two guys. I mean, Ross, I mean, that's like, that's, that's tough sledding for anybody trying to get inside against that team. Yeah, I think the only thing you can hope for is getting one of those two guys in foul trouble. And as you mentioned, they are they do lack that playoff experience. So I question whether or not they're going to be able to stay out of foul trouble come playoff time when physicality becomes a bigger factor. Um, I could see them kind of getting baited into uh, some early fouls, and, and then they might have some problems, especially since they pretty much just let Kevin Love walk away, which was a little bit surprising if you ask me. Um, but – Going back to the Celtics real quick, Bruce, you know, you mentioned they're eight and two in their last 10, which is obviously really solid. The thing with them that that really scares me, especially someone that kind of pulls for the Bucks, is the fact that, you know, they're just now getting Marcus Smart, Robert Williams back into that lineup playing 30 minutes a night, which they did on Wednesday night. They haven't peaked yet. So that's that's what concerns me is the fact that Boston's playing so well. And it doesn't really seem like it, despite being eight and two, as you mentioned. And, and, and they haven't peaked yet, and they have plenty of time. I mean, they, they they have plenty of time to get things rolling before this first round matchup, whoever they do face there. And uh, I think it's just really good for for Boston to be able to get these guys back and hopefully keep them back uh, in that starting group. I was kind of disappointed that Will Barton ended up signing with Toronto after he was bought out uh, in DC. I really was hoping Boston would get him. I think he would have been just a really good piece for those guys. But uh, you know what? Uh, I think you're right, Ross. I don't know that we've seen the best of the Celtics yet. And that's saying something when you, when you look at their record, I mean, best road record in the NBA, but um, you know, we'll see. They got a rookie coach too. So coaching, as we know, in the playoffs becomes a much bigger issue uh, and with Joe Missoula and his reluctance to sometimes call timeouts to stop the momentum that other teams get going, like last night in the fourth quarter, they came really close to blowing a huge fourth yeah. quarter lead against Cleveland. They ended up winning by four. The spread was five and a half, by the way, and they won by four. And I was thinking, and I didn't have any money on it, but I mean, they walked, you know, they were up like, you know, 16, 17 points, and then they took their foot off the gas, right? And, and they just, you know, they had some careless turnovers. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're, you know, Mitchell's hitting a three. And then Darius Garland is hitting a three. So, and you've got to give it to Cleveland for staying, you know, hungry, staying competitive, not throwing in the towel. J.B. Bickerstaff's doing a really good job there. So, yeah, I think uh, the East is loaded, man. I mean, you know, the, the top five teams in the East are all legitimate, like, you know, deep playoff run type of teams. Maybe Cleveland, yeah. with the exception for reasons we discussed before, lack of postseason experience. But talent-wise, they're right there. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it. The East definitely has the solidified teams that have been together, and it's going to be fun to watch down the stretch to see uh, who ends up being amongst the top in the Eastern Conference. But with that, we've reached our halftime buzzer, so we'll take a quick break and come back with you with, for the second half. And we're back for our third quarter, and we just got done discussing the East. Now let's shift our minds to the Western Conference where, you know, they've had a lot of reshuffling going on. There's been a shuffling of the deck of cards with some big names, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, coming from the East to the West, Russell Westbrook signing with another team in the West. And uh, let's play a fun game here uh, in the Western Conference, a little bit of an in and out situation. So, Bruce, I'm going to start with you. I want you to name a team and you let us know if you think they're in or out of the playoff pitcher. I'm going to take the Celtics traditional rival, the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, 
And I'm going to be a little bit counterintuitive here based on, you know, kind of the latest news. They're, they're saying LeBron James with that right foot injury is going to be reevaluated in three weeks, okay? That means he's going to probably miss the next 10 games, okay? Um, but I'm going to say that the Lakers are going to make the play-in, and I think they could rise as high as number eight, maybe seven, but possibly eight. And if they get in there – in the play-in and LeBron is back and has a little time to get his act together, I think they're going to be okay. Over the the next three weeks when LeBron is out, they have 10 games. Eight of them are going to be at home, okay? Only two on the road. And the two road games are against New Orleans uh, and against Houston, okay? Um, a lot of the teams that they're going to be playing are the teams that they have to jump over. And now Anthony Davis missed Wednesday's game because he, you know, uh, that problematic foot that he has. Although from what I read, it was more of a precautionary thing. They kind of said he was going to miss that game. Okay. Uh, and he's having an MRI on it on Thursday, um, which was previously scheduled. Um, and he could play on Friday against Minnesota. But I believe that the Lakers, you know, they're only one game out of the number uh, 10 spot right now. Okay. They're currently sitting, I think, at 13, uh, but only one game out of number 10. And the four teams in front of them all have many more road games than the, the Lakers. The Lakers, from now to the end of the season, have 12 home games, only seven on the road. So they're plus five in home games. Okay. The teams they have to jump, Dallas is minus one. So they have more road games. Minnesota's minus four, so they have four more road games and home games. Utah's minus three. They have three more road games and home games. And New Orleans uh, is got one more uh, road game than home game. So I believe L.A. will make the play-in. I think they'll probably grab eight. They could get as high as seven. But I'm saying even with LeBron missing the next ten, perhaps, they're getting in. Wow. All right. World B, who do you got for your in and out in the Western Conference? Well, I'm going to focus on the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. And uh, for me, I, at this point, I got to say they're out of the picture. Yeah. They're sinking like a stone here. They've 0-5 uh, since the All-Star break. And they've gone from 10th place at the All-Star break all the way to 13th in just five games. That's a testament to how much they've struggled, but also how much the West is so tightly uh tightly balanced or, you know, it's how tight it is in there. You know, th their defense, two, three seasons ago, they had a top 10 defense at the break, and then they were 29th in defensive efficiency after the break. Last year, they were uh, number eight in, in defensive efficiency at the All-Star break, and they finished 28th at, after the break. This season, they entered the All-Star break tied for 10th in defensive efficiency, and right now, five games in, they're 20 seconds. They're bottom 10 again. This is a, a pattern that uh, has to change if they ever want to be successful at all. SGA's now missed uh, four games in a row, and they don't have a, a whole lot of offensive options without him to begin with. So it's really uh, tough because they're just not a good shooting team. They're bottom 10 in effective field goal percentage. You know, during this, this slide, they lost to the Jazz. They lost to the Suns. They lost twice to the Kings and the Lakers. They're not getting beat by the Spurs and the Rockets or anything like that, but they got to win these games. Somebody's got to win these games if you want to make a play-in tournament uh, field. And, you know, in three of the last four games, they've allowed at least 124 points for 100 possessions. That's not going to get it done. That's not the way we saw them play defense before the All-Star break. So I really think in a, in a field that is really tight, they're not trending in the right direction, and I really don't see them having the offense to turn it around and catch these teams. They do have uh, opportunities coming up. They got the next two games are with the Jazz, who they lost to by one in overtime to begin this streak, this losing streak. So, you know, maybe they have some revenge on their mind there. I don't know. But, you know, then they get the Golden State Warriors, who may or may not have Curry back by then, uh, by the time they meet up. And, and then they get the Suns. They have KD. So it's not going to get easier for them, but they have teams that they can beat. They're going to just have to beat these teams. Uh, they become must-win, like we talk about in the NFL. These are must-win games or whatever. Well, these this is these are must-win games for them down the stretch because they're falling further and further back. And you know they had such a promising start, but I don't see them 
being able to leapfrog all these teams. I totally agree with you there, but I think secretly this is music to Sam Presti's ears. I think his team has gone ahead and proved their point that they have a super solid future with their young core. They put together one heck of a half of a season, just over a half a season before All-Star break. And uh, now they can kind of wobble a little bit for Wemby here, kind of get their their uh, chances with a lotto ticket um, and, and see if they can some, strike some more gold with Wembanyama, but well, Russ, uh, let me, let me ask you this, Russ, at what point do you start to actually, if you're the thunder, I, I hear what you're saying. I don't necessarily disagree yeah. with it, but at what point do you actually try to produce a, a product out there to make the playoffs? I mean, I, I was thinking this team had a real shot at, and it was a good, it was a great story after how much they struggled and how much they went with some, young guys that were, you know, younger than some college teams out there, you know, couple, for the last couple of years. At what point do you try – I'm I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. I'm just – I'm trying to get an idea with that mentality that Sam Presti, you know, maybe behind closed doors is is uh, relishing this, this slide. At what point do you try to be competitive in this league for a whole season? Yeah, no I think world. it's – Go ahead, Brock. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I think it's next year. I mean, next year is year three, which is a huge year for younger players, for Josh Giddy. Um, I'm specifically thinking he needs to obviously have a big year three. He, he, he improved this year. They're going to have SGA as their seasoned veteran at that point. Their two Jalen Williamsons will have a, uh, a, a rookie season under their belt with some experience. But I think some of their deadline moves, even like a Mike Muscala, a veteran piece that obviously has been playing pretty well in his time with the Boston Celtics. I just think the behavior of, of kind of what they did trading, even a guy like Muscala, SGA now being out, and they're probably going to nurse that a little bit because he is their star player and don't want any long-term damage to him. I think next year's year, we see them really turn it up full throttle and, and, yeah. and try to get into that playoff mix and be serious. But I just think this is the year that, they're maybe making Danny Ainge a little bit jealous of what's going on here in the second half of uh, of the season. They have a billion I, draft picks coming up, so it, it could be next year or two. Absolutely. You know, I I want to take uh, Presty's side on one thing here. I think he had higher hopes for this season than the way things turned out because you know, remember they lost Chet Holmgren, number two overall pick. Yeah. Never played a game, you know, not saying that Chet Holmgren was going to be the difference between them making the playoffs or not. Although, look, I mean, he was going to be uh, he was a number two overall pick in the draft. Right. So that's yeah. a piece that they will get back next year. I don't know, Ross, if they can suck bad enough to get into the Victor Wenbayana sweepstakes, because, I mean, the bottom four teams are like so far down from a team like Oklahoma City. I mean, Oklahoma City would pretty much have to lose every single game the rest of the way and have some of those crappy teams at the bottom start getting hot, which they're not going to because they are tanking for or wobbling for Wemby, as you yeah, said. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, the future is definitely, you know, bright in Oklahoma. The Muscala thing, I think, you know, that was probably just kind of a salary dump. They're going to have to sign some of these guys eventually. Maybe they need yep. to save a little bit of money. But I think uh, – We'll see what they get in the draft, but even if they don't, you know, end up, you know, with with a top four pick or whatever, um, we'll see what Chad Holmgren has when he joins the team for real next year. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably see that in this year's summer league. So that should be a lot of fun with whomever they draft with all their draft picks as well. If they don't end up making a trade uh, on that front, as for me, I'm going to focus in on the Portland Trailblazers, or should should I say? Damian Lillard's team, because, I mean, that guy has just been carrying this team uh, for for most of this season. Obviously, Simon's had his fair share at the beginning of the season while Dame was recovering from injury. Um, but I think this team is going to miss the playoffs. I, I'm going to say they're out, but I think they're going to flirt with the play-in spot a lot more than we than a lot of teams or fans anticipate. And I think they're going to be in it till the very end. And, you know, they're right on the door right now with that 10th spot which is the final playing spot. And I'll say this, much like the March Madness tournament, if the Blazers were able to somehow make that 10th seed, they would scare the daylights out of me uh, to, to have to play them in a play-in because Dame's, Dame's playing 
super locked in. And, and this Blazers team is a classic, <laughs> like, March Madness 12th seed. Like, a Murray State that has stars in the past, like an Isaiah Kanan or John Morant in the big dance. And, you know, just one potent star strong enough to potentially shake things up, in this case, in a, a play-in bracket. So, uh, I've got my eye on Portland. I'm going to say they're out, and I think we're going to see them get out of this play-in race here soon. Uh, they lost last night at home in a pivotal game versus a uh, beaten-down Pelicans team. C.J. McCollum got his revenge, getting the big win there for New Orleans. Um, but they hit the road here for uh, six games, and they play the Atlanta Hawks, Orlando Magic, Pistons, Celtics, Sixers, and then the Pelicans once again. That's a very tough stretch in a six-game road trip. I think that's going to pretty much sink their chances. So I'm saying Portland's out. But if they hang in there, watch out because they could be that diaper dandy uh, in the play-in tournament, getting Damian Lillard in there. And hey, with that, breaking, we'll go ahead. So got ahead. some breaking news here. Wah, 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 breaking news. The Wizards won tonight uh, on Thursday wow. Night World. I know that's been your team yeah. uh, flavor of the month recently. And with – Less than a minute left in the Maverick Sixers game. Luca and Kyrie have combined for 80. Wow. 42 well, for Luca, 38 for Kyrie. That's what we thought could happen with yep. with them paired up at their peak, at their best. And clearly they're getting their best tonight. Can we edit off the top of the show where I said that whole thing wasn't going to work? <laughs> well, I mean, Bruce, to your point, in all fairness, they are still seven short of Malink Monk and De'Aaron Fox from the last Friday night who combined That's for so 87. True. So they still have some work to do to kind of get on the, the beam team's level, if you ask me. Uh, but with that, we'll get to our fourth quarter, and it's mailbag time. Listeners submitted questions. We got some questions from our loyal listeners, which we're always happy to answer. And our first one comes in from Adam. Adam wants to know if we think the Suns can win 75% of the remaining games with KD back healthy. And World, I'll go ahead and start with you. Uh, well, in order to do that, they have to win. They have to go either 14 and 5 or 15 and uh, 15 and 4. That gets you like 78 to or 73 to 78 uh, win percentage down the stretch. Uh, they, I mean, they could do it with the with the full lineup. They it won't be easy though. You know, two two more to go in their schedule with the Kings. They still got the Bucks. They still got two to go with the Nuggets. They got the Warriors, who could have KD back. And how how fun would that be? K or uh, sorry, uh, Curry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how fun would that be with KD and Curry matching up like that? You know, they get Philly again, and they get uh, the Clippers, and they only play one bottom feeder the rest of the year. That being the Spurs in this case. Uh, so they. If they're going to do it, they're going to earn it. If they uh, yeah. if they can do it, and then if they can go fifteen and four with that schedule, teams that they have to beat, yeah, we might be putting them in as the favorite to win it all. Yeah. I see them going thirteen and six, okay, which is sixty eight percent, which will get them a forty seven and thirty five record and the number four seed in the Western Conference. That's what I see happening with Phoenix. They have 10 games at home and nine away, so they got to win a bunch of road games uh, too. But uh, 13 and six down the stretch for those guys and a number four seed, and a real threat to win it all, by the way. And, Bruce, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who were the three teams you'd put ahead of them? Not sure if you uh, have those on the top of your head. But. Yeah, well, Denver, Memphis, and SAC. Okay. I'm going to say that uh, I think they can win 75% of their games. Uh, I, I really was encouraged from what I saw in KD's debut. The, just the, the pure energy and what Kevin Durant's presence does offensively as far as taking the focus off Devin Booker and even Chris Paul operating into the paint, getting paint touches and kind of spitting the ball uh, out to other players that are out on the perimeter or dumping it off to DeAndre Ayton. Um, and, and I'll go as far as to say this, as much as I love the Sacramento Kings, I think the Suns are going to surpass the Kings by the end of the season and take one of those top four spots uh, or top three, I guess, because the Kings are sitting at three right now. I, the Suns will finish the season with a better record than the Sacramento Kings. And uh, I think it's a great question by Adam. So thanks for sending that in. That was a fun one to go ahead and answer. And our next question comes in from Brandon. And Brandon is curious which team we think is hungrier, the Lakers or the Blazers? Bruce? I'm going to go with the Lakers here. I think there's definitely more of a sense of urgency surrounding that team with LeBron 
getting a little bit older, although not playing like it. Uh, AD's health always an issue. Um, and I just think with the with the there's just more of a sense of urgency, which to me means they're going to be the hungrier team out of those two. World. Yeah, we, I mean, we talked about it in the previous episode when LeBron went out and said, uh, I'm going to try and play these last 23 games. Like he, that was his, that was a message to the rest of the teams that I'm, we're in it. I'm in it to win it. Now, obviously, he got hurt. He couldn't plan that. But I think that set the tone for the Lakers really taking the rest of this season seriously and trying everything they can to make it to either to play in or to, or to play off. And, you know, five and two in their last seven games is, is not bad. And one of the losses did come against Portland. So, you know, we'll uh, see how that turns out, whatever. But, you know, they've been able to jump because of the topsy-turvy, how tight it is, go from 13th to 11th. And just one game back of New Orleans for that 10th spot. So they, they're very much in the mix. Ten of their next, uh, next 12 are at home. So, you know, as Bruce mentioned, so they, they have a chance to – Really, with that sense of urgency and the schedule, uh, really make a become a factor in that playoff field. And then once they get in, who wants to really play LeBron James down in the in the play in a postseason matchup? Yeah, I'm in agreement with you both. I would take the Lakers as the the more hungrier team, especially with the uh, acquisitions they made um, prior to the deadline with Rui Hachimura, and then at the deadline with guys like Jared Vanderbilt, Mo Bamba. I think even just looking at those guys that they brought in, I mean. How excited should those guys be to say, hey, I got to step up. I got to show this Lakers team what I can contribute. And if we're able to win games, even with LeBron out, maybe AD sits, I'm going to get more minutes. And if we win, I'm going to get to be on, on a team in the playoffs with LeBron James. And we know we have a chance come playoff time. So I just think the energy is there knowing, hey, if we get there, we got LeBron in the playoffs. We're just as good as anybody uh, for a seven-game series. And by the so way, I, I would have – I would have said I almost went Portland because as the hungrier team after I saw Dennis Schroeder's uh, defensive <laughs> effort on on a turnover that he had the other night. Did we all see that where he just stood there oh, like yeah. a statue and let the guy go by him? And he just stood there after making the turnover. I, I almost wanted to do Portland just out of spite for that play. But I at the end of the day, uh, I'm not going to let Dennis Schroeder uh, determine my uh, – my uh, decision on who's the hungrier team. Even well, if he's remember, not. he was he was teammates with Ennis Cantor for a while in Boston, who probably you know they probably went through defensive drills together, just kind of standing there. Yeah, <laughs> that was embarrassing. That was so bad. Ennis and Dennis. Ennis and Dennis. <laughs> well played there, Bruce. And uh, want to thank Brandon and Adam for their questions here tonight on Mailbag Time. And with that, we'll get to our final thought and. Uh, Bruce, we'll go ahead and start with you. Um, David Benner was the longtime PR guy for the Indiana Pacers who died on uh, uh, Wednesday uh, after battling cancer. Fans rarely know who these PR guys are, but they have a major influence on what fans learn about teams. Every on-court interview you've ever seen on a, a game, whether it's a local or a national game, those guys are put out there and approved by the PR guys. David was not somebody that I was close with, but I did have lots of dealings with him over the years back in my ESPN days. He was very protective of his team, but he was always very professional. A lot of times PR guys, you know, their, their job, it's a, it's, they really have to walk the line between helping out the broadcasters and the writers and protecting guys, maybe some guys who are reluctant to do interviews where they don't articulate well or they just are shy or whatever reason. Uh, we weren't close personally. We always had a good professional relationship, but he was absolutely beloved in Indiana by the players. He and Reggie Miller had a really kind of funny pregame ritual where they'd get in each other's faces nose to nose and be like pointing fingers at each other. And it, it helped Reggie get psyched up. And we saw it on TV many times over the years. Who was that guy like getting into it with Reggie Miller? Well, it was an act. It was a, it was a, you know, it was like a hype guy for Reggie. So David Benner uh, was really an old school guy. He was a journalist before he was a PR guy. He wrote for the Indianapolis newspaper, uh, a wonderful professional guy, beloved in Indiana and the NBA family lost somebody that was very, very important when uh, they lost David. Well said there, Bruce and our thoughts and prayers go out to his family 
and all those that uh, knew David around the league. World B, what's your final thought? Well, a uh, couple weeks after we had the Super Bowl, we're, uh, this weekend we have the Wemby Bowl. And Uh-oh. the Spurs and Rockets meet up in a back-to-back home-and-home this weekend in one of the all-time classic series this season. Uh, as we all know, these are two of the three worst teams in the league, and they've been that way probably since preseason. Uh, it's just been abysmal how they've uh, been. we got the Rockets coming in at 13-49. and 49. They are 4-31 and 31 in their last 35 games. And the spring, and they've they've lost thirteen straight at one point, and now they've lost eleven straight. So they're just it's unbelievably bad. But stepping up to the plate, we have the Spurs, who are fifteen and forty-seven, who have the third worst record in the league because the Pistons somehow have one more loss in the loss column, and they just snapped a sixteen-game losing streak on Tuesday on the road at Utah. So this is what the matchup is going to be this weekend. And I can't imagine the the hell that somebody's going to have to pay if they were to actually sweep this home-and-home. Home. Now, the, the Spurs are 2-0 versus the Rockets this year, so they have the whatever the upper hand is, they have it. And uh, it's just going to – the jokes that are going to ensue uh, from this series cannot be uh, – Told enough. And by the way, we all talk about real quick. We all talk about how much uh, these teams are just tanking and doing all this stuff, and it's all true. But that's it. And you know, Ross and Bruce, that's an organizational thing. I mean, I'm making jokes here, or whatever. But these guys, who, the players and coaches, when they get on the court, it's all about winning for them. Nobody's going out there to try to lose. This is an organizational decision to try and tank and put a lineup out there. But once they're out there, they're trying their their butts off. It's just not a whole lot talented to to do it, but uh, let's see what happens on Monday with the the uh, we'll call it the recap of the weekend for this uh, Wemby Bowl. Wouldn't so, it be great if they could play the Wemby Bowl in Wembley Stadium in London? <laughs> I think that would yes. be so cool. <laughs> the wobble so, for Wembley at Wembley. <laughs> so my only follow up question is, uh, you know, what's the spread going to be like at your house? Will be I've been anxiously hitting refresh on my Facebook, seeing if I'm getting in it. Uh, event invite to your house to watch this i'm assuming you're going to have like a party right well i'm going to leave some take some eggs out of the fridge and leave them outside for the rest of the weekend <laughs> so we have some nice rotten eggs it's it, it only fitting i'll have some rotten egg salad for, for lunch or something to to uh, really get the appropriate scene setting for this or maybe i'll just have chicken wings with bones only no meat. Well, if you got the rotten eggs, make sure you dip your fingernails in there so you don't, you know, it's going to be a nail biter. I don't want you biting your nails in those games. So uh, My nails will be intact, I promise you. <laughs> All right. Well, for my uh, final thought, Bruce, I'm going to let you do the honors and teen up uh, the thought and, and let our listeners know about our exciting upcoming guest. Well, Ross's final thought. Uh, this week, uh, or, or for this, or, or for our, uh, our Friday show, is uh, our special guest that was going to be joining us uh, when we record on Monday night, and uh, the show drops next Tuesday, and that would be Om Young Masuk, who is a incredible basketball journalist for ESPN.com. Uh, he is the beat writer for the Los Angeles Clippers. He also covers the Lakers. He's extremely knowledgeable about everything around the NBA. He's a longtime NBA journalist, used to work for the New York Daily News back when uh, Michael Freer was a, a young fella reading his name, even reading his column, even though he couldn't pronounce his name. Uh, but Ohm is amazing. He's a great guy. I, I remember being one of the first people to put him on TV at ESPN. Great friend, very honest. Ross, I know you're going to be peppering him with all kinds of Ty Lu questions about some of the decisions yep. that he's made. But Ohm is a wonderful guy, and, and a prediction I have about Ohm is that one year, Ohm is going to win that Kurt Gotti Media Award uh, from the Basketball Hall of Fame. He's that good. He's that smart. He's that decent of a man, uh, and he knows his stuff like few. And I know the folks who listen to this show, you're not going to want to miss Ohm on our next show because he is awesome, and you will love everything he has to say. Thanks for, Thanks for that me nice up. final thought. That was a great final thought by you, Ross. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate you teeing it up because I'm coming out swinging on uh, Tuesday's show with Oman. I got a lot of questions about this Tyloo rotation. Uh, obviously, Russell Westbrook. What's going on with Norman Powell's minutes? 
definitely not going to be a show our listeners are going to want to miss. That will be out on Tuesday. Really looking forward to that. But as for this episode, uh, we are going to call it quits here tonight on the 48 Minutes Podcast by Believe. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you on Tuesday, and we hope you have a great weekend. Take care, everybody.